0: Hello, I'm Mariette Sneemann. Welcome to Calm, Clear and Helpful, a weekly podcast series on taking good care of yourself and others. Today we're looking at clinical hypnosis what it is and how it can benefit you. My guest is Jeffrey Rink, clinical psychologist from Hout Bay, Cape Town. Welcome, Jeffrey. I'm glad to have you back on the show.
1: Uh, Thanks, Mariette. Thanks for uh, re-inviting me. And I trust we'll have as good a connection today as we did in our first interview.
0: Yes, I'm sure. To our listeners, after our conversation, Jeffrey will give us three tips on self-nurturing and then it will be fun question time. Jeffrey, how did you get involved in hypnosis?
1: Well, Marietta, I've been in private practice or qualified as a clinical psychologist now for about 35, 36 odd years. And my journey into clinical hypnosis actually started uh, long before I became a psychologist. It happened at the age of 18, I think the most important precipitating event, which was uh, learning how to meditate. Somehow I had a a fascination, a calling to find out more about meditation. And I attended a course in meditation, and I really felt the benefits. And so I started meditating every day, and I haven't stopped. And I tell you, Mariette, it's – Kind of been the most, the best investment I've actually ever made. And later on, when I was doing my clinical psychology training, I got exposed to a brief exposure to hypnotherapy. And I realized there that there was some sort of connection between hypnosis and meditation. Unfortunately, the kind of approach that was used to teach us during my master's degree just didn't quite resonate with me. And so I put hypnosis aside, but I still carried on with meditation. And it was only several years after qualifying and uh, being in private practice that I got exposed. I attended another hypnotherapy workshop. And the approach presented to me there just resonated with me. And I thought, wow, this is absolutely amazing. And I was hooked. And I saw the very strong link there between the world of meditation, the world of hypnosis. And it fascinated me. I saw the powerful way in which one could work with the unconscious. And I also realized there, That hypnosis, then, if I get involved in it, is deep and complex work. It's not something you dabble with. And uh, introductory course actually was just not going to be enough. And in the same way that meditation kind of was a calling for me, hypnosis really was a calling that I answered. And I started channeling all my energy into the world of clinical hypnosis and did every course I possibly could, and it became increasingly complex. I realized there are lots and lots of different ways of working with clinical hypnosis, but what resonated with me most was the field associated to what's called hypnoanalysis, more specifically medical hypnoanalysis, and it was work, it's a, an approach that works with, uh, with the unconscious mind through, uh, the process of changing brainwaves in much the same way as brainwaves change when you meditate. There's thousands and thousands of, uh, peer-reviewed articles showing the changes of brainwaves that occur both in meditation and hypnosis and also just how similar they are. And so I pursued that. And studied and attended workshops and traveled and made it a goal to, uh, to become what's called a diplomate of the South African Society of Clinical Hypnosis, which was the highest level of training possible in South Africa, which was regarded very highly internationally, actually. And it's a five-year training program, uh, which, uh, I pursued, and pursued quite doggedly and relentlessly, and I found out along the way that it was actually complex and very difficult, and that very few people in South Africa had actually reached the level of diplomat, and being a diplomat allowed you then to teach and train other psychologists, uh, uh, medical practitioners and specialists, and dentists. So I made it my goal actually to focus on doing the diplomat training. And it was tough. And it's a not to, it's not to be taken for granted. And a lot of people fall out along the way. And in fact, there were very, very strict, rigorous exams. And I remember the year I uh, wrote the exams consisted of two in-depth case presentations with video material. If they got accepted, there was a exam to be written, which I went up for in Pretoria. And after that, uh, there was a panel uh, interview with ten colleagues. And again, of the five of us that went there, only three people actually got through. So it's a very r- a process that has got very, very high standards. And I always remember my exam as being the most difficult exam I actually ever wrote. So once I was qualified as a diplomat, it gave me a certain status and standing within the clinical hypnosis organization and society. And I started teaching uh, colleagues uh, hypnotherapy. Yeah, that opened up a whole new world for me. So my clinical practice revolves around clinical hypnosis and in that though, a lot of my work as well is still to do with conventional psychotherapy from a more analytic framework. I hope that answers some of your questions.
0: Yes, it does. Very interesting because you have linked meditation to hypnosis and then you've been talking about the rigorous exams you passed. Today we're going to talk about clinical hypnosis and I would be grateful if you would guide me while we're talking because now we've got various terms. We've got hypnosis, we've got clinical hypnosis, you mentioned medical hypnoanalysis, so I'm going to, to start by asking you what hypnosis is.
1: Briefly, the word hypnosis comes from the Greek word hypnos, which means to sleep. However, in hypnosis, you're not asleep. You're also not awake. So a nice definition, perhaps, in this regard is that hypnosis is, is similar to, but not the same as being asleep. It's similar to, but not the same as being awake. So it's an altered state of consciousness. And what happens then is that physiologically, your body goes into a state similar to sleep, but your brainwaves are not in the sleep brainwave. They're in theta, not in delta. And uh, your mind, though, is quite awake and alert, in fact, very alert. So you can be in very deep hypnosis, actually what's called a a stuporous trance, where you can't move. Your breathing is very shallow, eyelids are twitching, absolutely immobile. But on the other hand, you're awake, alert, you're able to answer questions, and you understand questions put to you. So it's this altered state that is absolutely fascinating.
0: So let's look at clinical hypnosis. Does it differ from other forms of hypnosis?
1: Absolutely. So, clinical hypnosis is used therapeutically. If I'm using hypnosis, I'm using hypnosis for therapeutic purposes. It's to treat my clients. There are so many other uses of hypnosis. Uh, there's stage hypnosis. There's people messing around with hypnosis. There's hypnosis that happens when you're not even aware that it's happening. There's hypnosis that's practiced by lay hypnotists. All of that actually is different to what I would be doing in a clinical situation. So when I'm using clinical hypnosis, it's serious, it's therapeutic, and it's orientated towards symptomatic relief or working through issues at a deeper level and holding and containing my client for the duration of the session and indeed often many sessions. So clinical hypnosis, it's about psychotherapy, using hypnotherapy as a tool.
0: You've now mentioned various uses of clinical hypnosis, could you perhaps just explain it to us in a simple way, perhaps give an example or two of how one can benefit from clinical hypnosis?
1: Marietta. I think a nice way to understand the benefits is that when somebody is going into hypnosis, their levels of anxiety immediately start dropping. You're not going to be in hypnosis and be anxious. So hypnosis works particularly well with anxiety disorders, with panic attacks, with different types of phobias, flying, driving, agoraphobia, needle phobia, dentist phobia. Works very, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of uh, areas that can work, be, be used in for abuse, sexual abuse, Uh, Physical, emotional abuse, for working through trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, to help with insomnia, depression, grief, uh, childbirth, hypnobirthing, uh, psychogenic infertility, PNI or psychoneuroimmunology, people with uh, sexual issues, psychosexual disorders, hypnosis has an important role in pain control. Yeah, in, with chronic pain, it can be used to prepare people, uh, for, uh, surgery. It helps with studies and performance anxiety. It can be used to enhance people's, uh, sports performance. It can be used quite effectively, actually, with people that have chronic fatigue syndrome. It's useful for people with addictions, uh, people that want to stop smoking. I'm just going through some areas here, people that are looking for weight loss, people that binge. There's a role purely on a basic level for self-training and self-hypnosis or meditation. It can help people with public speaking, people that pull their hair, a condition known as trichotillomania. It can help with migraines, with anger control, road rage, Just some thoughts, some conditions actually that come to mind. So these are conditions that present in my rooms and more.
0: It sounds to me as if you've just about covered the whole of the human condition.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope I hope not. And I don't want it to sound as hypnotherapy can be used to treat everything and anything. It can't. And so so important in all of this is that some people may respond well and others won't. There are no panacea. Mm. There's no magic. There's no quick fixes. So I'm not purporting in any way to be able to treat all of these uh, invariably. But sometimes they respond well to hypnotherapeutic interventions. And I think particularly so when my client has tried other forms of treatment and they haven't got anywhere. And hypnotherapy often, as a last resort actually, achieves breakthroughs that other forms of therapy just, just don't. And yet, on the other hand, sometimes it doesn't. So there's there's no magic, it doesn't work for everyone. But when it works, uh, it's really very satisfying, and of course a great relief to, uh, to my client. I must also say, actually, that hypnotherapy is not hypnotherapy is not hypnotherapy. So I used the word medical hypnoanalysis earlier on, and that's one approach to working with hypnosis. But there's a whole range of different approaches to hypnotherapy in the same way that with conventional psychotherapy, you'll find people that work psychodynamically, others that work with CBT or cognitive behavior therapy, others that do EMDR, some are Jungians, some are Freudians, etc., etc." And in hypnosis, you'll find people working with what's called ego state therapy, Ericksonian therapy, analytical hypnotherapy, uh, more direct suggestions. So there's lots of different ways of working. So if somebody has comes to see me and says they've had hypnotherapy, I actually want to know Uh, what kind of hypnotherapist they saw. Was this a professional person or was it actually a lay hypnotist? So I need to know. So if somebody says they've had hypnosis and it hasn't worked, I need to know actually what the level of training was of that therapist. Were they, in fact, a professional person? Were they a lay hypnotist? perhaps a professional person that's done basic training, not more advanced training. And I must tell you that hypnotherapy is deep and complex. Work. It's highly intuitive. It goes way beyond uh, the learning you get in, uh, in books and the learning you get in workshops. It's complex, deep, and relies on connecting intuitively with your client. And I do believe that there's also an energetic component to this sort of work. You're working with physiology. You're working with a change in brain waves and alteration in consciousness. And it requires us, yes, quite a special kind of person, actually, to get deeply involved in working effectively with complex hypnotherapy
0: cases. I'm curious to find out whether when you do clinical hypnosis, whether it is best to do it uh, long term. In other words, you will get a client and establish rapport with a client and then perhaps start with whatever they present with and then you will go on and go deeper as you go along.
1: Marie, it's such an important question. So when people phone me for a, to make an appointment, and they expect hypnosis in the first session, I very quickly um, put them in the picture. And I will never do hypnosis in a first session or a second session for that matter. Before doing any hypnosis, I take a very thorough clinical interview. Very thorough. I want to know who and what I'm dealing with. I do a, a flesh and Blood, guts, and gore interview. I need to know what I'm dealing with. Who's this person? What have they been through? And so it can be two sessions, three sessions, four sessions before I'll get into hypnotherapy, maybe more. Maybe they're looking at hypnosis as a quick fix, and they don't want to deal in consciousness with the painful real-life issues that just have to be dealt with. So. It's about assessment, assessment, assessment. And in doing the assessment, I'm establishing rapport with my client. So I'm gathering information on the one hand, and information in a way actually that already has my client thinking and gaining insights into themselves and into patterns in their life. But I'm establishing rapport and trust, and that's the essential absolute essential for hypnosis that there has to be rapport there has to be trust and then hypnosis actually is a formality but i will never do hypnosis without a good thorough interview because there's also contraindications to hypnosis so in the in the context though hypnosis is about a relationship And when you're in hypnotherapy, you're going to be just about as vulnerable as you ever will. You'll be lying down in my recliner. I will cover you with a blanket. And you're going to be going inwards in a vulnerable state, in a vulnerable space. And that rapport and trust is absolutely essential before you go anywhere else. So yes, preparation for hypnosis is a critical part of the process, as far as any of my clients are concerned.
0: Are clients sometimes afraid that they won't be able to to be hypnotised?
1: Yeah, so it's often a uh, it's often a concern. People think, oh well, I've got a but they'll say I've got a strong mind. uh, I can't be hypnotised. But actually, it's never the case. And uh, if there's rapport, hypnosis is a formality. The only time, perhaps, and really, there's been very few situations where uh, there hasn't been hypnosis. And where that happens, it's really to do with a very conscious resistance to the process. But I must emphasize that that hypnosis on its own means nothing. It's how I use hypnosis that's important. We say we don't treat people with hypnosis. We treat them in hypnosis. And this is two very different areas. So hypnosis, well, that's easy to bring about. The skill actually is how you're using hypnosis. That's where the importance is. Part of the skill is uh, knowing uh, when to use hypnosis. If, it's, if hypnosis is, uh, is indicated, that's why the clinical interview is so important.
0: It sounds to me as if there's a very good reason then why one should go to a person who has been trained sufficiently and who will not see themselves as somebody doing hypnosis, but somebody who actually works within a very broad therapeutic context.
1: Mariette, uh, you're raising a very important issue, and that is about practitioners of clinical hypnosis. And for your listeners in South Africa, in the South African context, actually, we have pretty sophisticated legislation about who can practice hypnosis. And in 1997, through the Government Gazette, it was gazetted, this is through Parliament actually, that uh, the only people allowed to practice hypnosis legally are psychologists, medical practitioners and medical specialists and dentists. So that actually precludes then stage hypnosis and people that are lay hypnotists that do not have those qualifications, that might have a basic school education, and call themselves hypnotherapists or hypnotists. So these people that have no tertiary qualifications or no poly, no training in medicine or psychology, that attend courses, that will do a, a month's course or whatever, a weekend course, and purport to be able to treat anything and everything. And that's basically from reading a script. And uh, I have to deal with the, uh, the fallout and people say they've been to see a hypnotist and this and this is what happened. And so often I have to do damage control and hypnosis is complex work. And as a psychotherapist, I have to say it's the most complex work that I do. So working with the unconscious in the kind of way that one does in in hypnotherapy and hypnoanalysis is very deep, powerful work and requires skill and an understanding of the site. So just to sort of rewind a bit, uh, one should be seeing a professionally registered person on the one hand, and uh, stage hypnosis I've seen in my practice actually has also led to casualties. People watching think it's a lot of fun, but actually people are using a very powerful medical technique for entertainment and that's just not on it actually is not legal but the law in South Africa unfortunately has no teeth and so these practices continue but for the person listening if you're interested in going for hypnotherapy please see a person registered with the Health Professions Council essential with that as well of course you're covered by uh, All the ethics associated with the health professions cards.
0: Thank you for explaining that, Jeffrey. Uh, When does someone know that that they would benefit from clinical hypnosis? If you're a patient and you know nothing about it, uh, when do you think is it a good idea to find a registered practitioner and go for clinical hypnosis?
1: So... I think I'll just rewind and say people that have been for other forms of treatment that just get stuck, that they've got debilitating anxiety or grief or depression, they're stuck they're not getting anywhere, their symptoms continue, <clears throat> where anxiety is an important component of their uh, of their problem, uh, then to explore hypnosis and I tell you why hypnosis actually can be so very effective. And that is that it's working with physiology. And my little saying actually is hypnosis is about physiology, physiology and physiology. And why? Because it changes the way your body functions. And in essence, what happens when, uh, when we're using hypnosis is that as you start going into hypnosis, into trance, I would say, we, Gradually switching off the functioning of your sympathetic nervous system. That's your fight or flight mechanism, your adrenaline system. And so as the process continues, your adrenaline levels are dropping. Your muscle tone starts dropping. Your, your body becomes uh, soft. Uh, people often release tension in the process. Your cardiovascular system slows down, your pulse, your blood pressure. And uh, there's uh, slowing down, too, of your brainwaves. And your brainwaves start slowing from beta, which is your intellectual, everyday fast brainwave, to Alpha, which is more of the slower meditational brainwave, to theta, which is what I work with in deep hypnosis. And then, well, delta is deep sleep, which we avoid. And with that, with the change in brainwaves and the concomitant changes through your body, there's also an increase in some good neurotransmitters that are feel-good, like serotonin, endorphin, your body's natural... uh, Morphine and uh, dopamine, all of these are good, feel-good substances, uh, chemicals. And when you emerge from hypnosis, actually you'll feel good because of the change in neurotransmitters, the increase in neurotransmitters in your brain. Also important, actually, uh, is that going into hypnosis in this way improves the functioning of your immune system. And so this is a whole area called p n i or psychoneuroimmunology where hypnotherapy can be used for people with chronic illnesses uh with serious illnesses to help stimulate uh, enhance the functioning of the immune system and also work through issues associated with uh with chronic and or terminal illnesses so some of what uh, happens in hypnosis, and why, perhaps, people should consider hypnosis, and uh, why it is such a powerful therapeutic technique.
0: If you have a chronic illness, Jeffrey, and you you undergo clinical hypnosis, would there be a lasting benefit physically? Well, one
1: would hope so. so. when, when I'm working with any serious illness, let's say it's a, cas- a cancer patient, you know, I'd be working as part of a team. So there'd be an oncologist, a physician, the person would be on medication, they would be having chemotherapy, uh, other forms of therapy. And so this is part of the process. And hopefully the addition of hypnotherapy to the whole treatment team will just make a difference. And it's all these added inputs that can make a difference. And if the functioning of the immune system is enhanced just a little, well, that's fantastic. It can make a big difference. And there's a role for hypnosis here in pain control. There's a role for hypnosis when the person goes for a chemotherapy and is up on a drip hours. they can put themselves into hypnosis changes the whole experience actually of receiving chemotherapy uh, there's a change in how the chemotherapy actually is even regarded uh, through hypnotherapy So instead of being a, an ordeal one can actually welcome the medication into the system and seeing it as a powerful healing force that's bringing healing, it's not a painful ordeal to uh, to sit through. So there's lots of different ways hypnotherapy actually can be brought into the process of dealing with chronic illness.
0: That's very interesting. Now, you've mentioned self-hypnosis. Could you please speak about
1: that? Yes. So self-hypnosis uh, would be using hypnosis uh, really as a form of meditation or to replace meditation or instead of meditation. So every client I see, I do invariably teach self-hypnosis. And that can be actually teaching the person how to go into hypnosis on their own. Or I make a recording for them that would be specially for them. And uh, they can listen to it and go into trance. And the benefit of this is that it does activate the parasympathetic system and, again, switches off the sympathetic nervous system, switches off the adrenaline system. And that's what it's all about. And to spend 25 minutes to a half an hour, really, of self-nurturance. And it's replenishing, it's uh, revitalizing, it's invigorating, and it's good for you. So to do that on a daily level uh, helps reset the system. It helps reboot you, gives you energy, it clarifies uh, clarifies the mind, and in fact, it's it's a process actually that leads to greater creativity, freshness of thought, stimulation of new ideas. It's really good, and it's free, <laughs> and it's without any drugs. So I highly recommend it. And, you know, talking about the self-hypnosis, several people I see actually do practice meditation. And once they've been exposed to hypnosis, actually, I can take them into much deeper trances than they are used to with their conventional meditation process. So because of my meditation background and knowing about meditation and with my uh, hypnosis background, I will guide people that already practice meditation into deeper trances, into a deeper trance state through using hypnotherapeutic techniques. So it intensifies the process and they gain more benefit out of it quite amazed often, actually, at what they can achieve.
0: It does sound as as if it would affect the whole life going forward.
1: Yes, absolutely. And the self-hypnosis as well is so useful for people. You know, there's a role for hypnosis with insomnia, and I can get to that. But where people are suffering from insomnia, where there's daytime somnolence or tiredness, where people have chronic fatigue, where people are studying, actually. It's a wonderful way of energizing the self, refreshing the brain, getting new vitality. It resets the system. It gives you energy to go ahead and continue with your day. It makes a huge difference, and it's a healthy practice.
0: Jeffrey, where can listeners find out more about your work or about clinical hypnosis?
1: So I think it's best just to uh, email me actually, and my email address is shrink s h r i n k at tiscali t i s c a l i dot co z a.
0: Thank you. And I'll also attach the link to your website, which is ecopsychologyafrica.com, to this podcast. Um, And then those who are interested can listen to our other podcast on eco-psychology.
1: Yeah, uh, thanks, uh, Maria. Thank you.
0: Could you please give us your three tips on self-nurturing?
1: Well, number one, as I've alluded to, is uh, meditate, self-hypnosis, meditate, self-hypnosis, meditate, self-hypnosis. It's just so good for you. It's self-nurturance. It's looking after yourself. And uh, I, I, I would call it an anabolic process. It's a building up process. So doing it regularly just will enhance your physical health, your mental health, your immune system. It's self-nurturant. It's good for you. So I don't think uh, repeating it three times is three tips, but anyway, that's one really good tip. <laughs> and just on that note, if anybody wants a, a self-hypnosis recording, perhaps I could also, uh, provide them with one. So that's something to consider. They can contact me for that. Secondly, self-nurturance. Well, you mentioned my eco-psychology. I haven't mentioned that yet. But going out into nature really is uh, about nurturing the soul. and uh, The soul is even deeper than the self. So please have some nature practice, even getting into your garden or going out, going hiking, but connecting with nature, with wilderness uh, in whatever way. Even with a plant. but uh, transcending the material world, the technological world, and connecting with basics, really uh, getting down to earth and earthing yourself. It's just, what can I say? I think it's food for the soul. And uh, please have some kind of nature practice. On a more formal level, uh, eco psychology experiences are really great for connecting with with nature, connecting with wilderness. And another tip for uh, looking after the self, self nurturance, is I think looking after other people, and so by giving unto others, by doing something good, by uh, yeah, with random acts of kindness, you're spreading something positive, and in giving, you're getting as well. So let's look at those three, those three little tips come to mind. Maybe they're big tips.
0: Thank you, Jeffrey. May I ask you a fun question?
1: Well, you may. Uh, let's see if I can uh, answer it.
0: If you could be a body of water. What would you look like or where would we find you?
1: Well, if I could be a body of water, I wouldn't be a body. I would be (laughs) alive, running and gurgling. I would be a stream coming out of a, a spring up in the mountains in a shady, green, forested area right at the start of the spring, gurgling down. Flowing alive, full of oxygen, rapids, flowing down the mountain and connecting with other tributaries and flowing towards the river, huge river, eventually the river of life and flowing onwards towards the sea and merging with the sea, the fresh water with the salt water and being spread and diluted through all the seas and through all the oceans. Uh, I don't want to be a body of water, I want to be living alive, flowing water.
0: Oh, that sounds so enticing. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for clarifying clinical hypnosis and hypnosis in more general terms.
1: Yeah, good. Uh, great pleasure and thanks for inviting
0: To our listeners, thank you for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with someone you care about. I'd really appreciate it if you'd rate Calm, Clear and Helpful where you download your podcasts. If you'd like a more fulfilling relationship with your beloved, If you wish parenting could be easier, or if you're interested in improving your emotional well-being, you're welcome to visit my website, marietesneemann.co.za, for free articles and podcast episodes. Calm, Clear and Helpful is compiled, hosted and edited by me, and the music is by Mart-Marie Sneemann. Catch you next Tuesday at 9.